Good morning, church family. What a way to celebrate, hey? Uh, My name is Paul, if we haven't met, um, and it is so good to see all your beautiful faces in the room this morning. Thank you. If you're joining us online, it's good to have you joining as we worship. This morning as we were in, in prayer to begin, somebody prayed, referencing the scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about our outward man is perishing. Does that, anybody identify with that? Do you feel like your outward man is in a weakened condition compared to 40 years ago? <laughs> now, if you're 40 years old, you may not know what I'm talking about. But, you know, this is the trajectory that we're on. But he said this. He said, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. And the Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, listen, something's growing inside of me, a glory that can't be compared to any of the suffering of this present age. And he was, he was intimately acquainted with that glory. It wasn't just a vague belief system. Oh, you know, I, I, th- I believe there's a God. You know, the Apostle writes, he says, he says, if you believe in God, great, but the demons believe as well, and they tremble. So maybe you should go a little bit further in your faith. We want to go a little bit further in our faith because something is at work inside of us that is eternal in nature. And this morning as we worship, we get an opportunity to interface with heaven. We're not just remembering that Jesus died on the cross, though he did. We're not just remembering that he rose from the dead to conquer the grave and hell, Though he did, we are worshiping to interface with him here and now because the Apostle John wrote, says, as he is now, so are we, not later, but now here in this world. So if you're visiting with us today, welcome, but I want you to expect something. God knows your name. God's numbered the hairs on your head. God touched you as a little child. He was with you in your hardest times. He's been looking over your life and camping on the cusp of who you are, wanting you to draw closer to him. And you're here today, not by accident, but by divine design. If you're watching online, you're here by divine design. And God wants to acquaint you with his purpose in a more intimate way today. So let's bless him and worship him. Let's draw near to him Because he has invited us and made a way for us to do so. In the scripture, we see significant moments when Israel is being sent by God and they go into a hostile land and they have to encounter enemies that are are there to destroy them, to kill them, to remove them. And again and again and again, we see that the narrative around victory or defeat has to do with what appears from the realm of the Spirit. When David is moving, the Lord says, don't attack until you hear the sound of moving or marching above your head. Why? Because the angelic armies are being dispatched on your behalf. Wait for them. Your victory is hinged on what you release. When Elisha is surrounded by a foreign king in their armies, he's undisturbed because he sees into the invisible realm that there are chariots of fire, angels surrounding them, and that there are more, there are more angelic hosts than there are enemies. Everything we do is about dispatching and releasing heaven on earth, the resources of heaven on earth. We worship, we release faith, we shout, we praise in order to draw the resources of heaven to earth and to engage them. The reason they're here is not because of God's present mood. The reason they come is because of the obedience of the servants of God on earth. So we say, Lord, release your resources 
here in Parkland County. Release Father Angelic Hosts to bring rain, to blow away the smoke, to quench the fires of destruction in this land. Father, let the winds be contrary to the flames. Let the rain extinguish the flames. Lord, we call for supernatural intervention. Your kingdom come. Lives, lives and livelihoods and jobs hang in the balance. You don't have to guess whether it's God's desire to bless this province. It is his desire. It is his will. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life. You know, there are some people who are waiting for heaven to come. They're, they're waiting for eternity to shift the ground. But we're not just waiting. We're actually, in the words of the scripture, hastening the day. Have you, now, I know not everybody knows the Bible well, but this is what it means to hasten the day. Advance it. Make it happen quicker. Did you know that? We can hasten the day of his coming? Wow. In other words, he's saying, like, when you're ready, I will come. When you've done your part, I will come. Well, what is, what is our part? He said he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God until his enemies are made his footstool. So we're down here on earth, and we're saying, yeah, hurry up and do that, Lord. He said, no, you hurry up. You do it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that again this morning. And then you think, uh, well, didn't we talk about that last week and the week before and the week before and the week before? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Now, how many of you have read this book, Metaspheres? If you haven't read it, please read it because you, you need to understand what it is that we're doing. This is volume one. And I just started, I just got a breakthrough in writing volume two. I had started about seven or eight chapters, but I just got some clarity this last week. And so I've, I've leaned into it a little bit. And, and I want to talk about some of that stuff because uh, God is intending us to change our community. And I want you to join with me right now because we are advancing a message that is going to not only equip people, but empower us to see the kingdom of God come to the earth. I mean, when Jesus said, pray this way, he wasn't saying, do empty rituals that are meaningless. Right? He, he said, he's saying, do something that's effective. Everything he did was effective. So I want to talk about this, this idea here today, and I've called this message, The Gate of Heaven. And I actually really, I, I, uh, I started it last week. And uh, we, we, are, we are trying to revisit God's original intention for the church. The church, the word church, and the community of believers that we call the church has come to mean a bunch of things that are separate from the original DNA. And that happens all the time. It happens in industry. It happens in, in, the, in the world of finances. It happens all over the place. Sometimes things become so large, so intricate, we lose our reason for being. And so sometimes what happens in the corporate world is, is when a lot of money is being wasted on secondary efforts, it's the job of the CEO of a company to say, here, hey guys, department managers and all you guys, let me, let me remind you why we're here. Right, you know, if you're if you're building cars, we are a car company. Right, we're we're here to build good cars and sell them, not to change the social structure of the of of, of the West. <laughs> that message seems to be lost sometimes. Secondary values and priorities take over primary ones. So I want to I want to go back to this because if we're ever going to stay on that strict straight and narrow, we need to understand what are, we, what are we supposed to be? What is the essential, you know, when God was thinking of the church, he wasn't thinking of this vague body of people who just did whatever they wanted. He had a very specific plan. You know, God's a specific God. You look at the, the building of the temple, he was very, you know, specific about how he wanted things to be. Meticulous, yes. I was going to use another word, but 
which probably wouldn't be honoring. But last week I started to talk about revival because, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about revival, right? We're, we're, we're pursuing revival. We want revival. Well, how does revival connect to what it means for us to be the church? Is there a connection? Or is that just, you know, that's what we do. We do revival and we're the church. Well, last week I started talking about John G. Lake and how he, he was visited by an angel. And when he was visited by that angel, the angel was exhorting him to focus on one singular thing. And he pointed, you remember this last week? Were you here last week? He pointed to Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit came down on them. And he said, he said, contend for this. Contend for this. Only this has the power to meet the felt need, the heart need of humanity. This alone is what humanity needs. Well, what is this? Oh, it was a wind. It was a bunch of people praying in tongues. It was excitement such that they, they were so excited they left the top room and they went out into the streets. And No, those were the, those were the characteristics of what happened. But what happened was something of a gateway open between there and here such that the atmosphere that was there began to invade here. You know, when you're standing at the door at winter, right, you know, and somebody opens the door and some, you know, four-year-old is waiting for his parents, but he's holding the door open and it's 40 below out there, and you're in here in a short sleeve shirt, you feel that right away, right? Because that atmosphere out there is invading the atmosphere in here. Why? Because a door opened. Because, because the, the, the break, the gap between here and there was disappeared somehow, and now these atmospheres are becoming the same, which in the case of heating a church in the middle of winter and outside, we don't want that. But this is the picture of what revival is. Revival is an atmosphere of heaven coming here just like it is there. All of the components, not only just the activity, not only just the angels, not only just the presence of God, but, but the, the, the electrifying atmosphere. And every time you read about revival, you actually, this is what you hear. You hear people talking about the atmosphere. It's the first thing they talk about. There was something in the atmosphere, undefinably powerful. It was like electricity. It just, it just, an awe filled the place. Why? Because there was a manifestation of heaven on earth. So, oh, so somebody says, okay, we need to do that. We need to try and take the language of that experience and communicate it effectively, emotively, with charisma and a correct precision. And even then, what are you doing? You're giving a descriptor. It's like saying to somebody, oh, how's your vacation? It was great. It was so hot. How hot was it? So hot. <laughs> how, how Was it nice? Oh, it was beautiful. So beautiful. Here's a picture. But none of those things do the same as actually being there. None of them. And so as our job, what we're doing is not telling people, oh, heaven's great. Oh, God is good. True. Why do we tell them that? We tell them that not just so that they have the facts concerning what it is that we're talking about, but there is, there is actually in the preaching of the gospel, the intention is to bring them into the experience of the thing that we're talking about, not just the descriptive language about what we're talking about. And the difference between being an effective church and an ineffective church has to do with how much can you replicate the experience for those people. How are, is it happening? When we come here week by week, are we, how much of heaven are we experiencing? And is it enough to experience more than the church down the road? Is it enough to say, oh, there's a church over there in Dallas that's having more. We should, we'll sing their songs, we'll adopt to their style, we'll, we'll, you know, dress the way they dress, and hopefully we're replicating what they have. No, because it always, and this is the point of this book, it always begins with an atmosphere. The reason why people wear a certain kind of clothes up in the north is because of the weather. <laughs> right? The atmosphere 
changes everything. You wear, you eat, you live, you, you, you carry on according to the atmosphere in which you live. And so God has made this provision that he can change the atmosphere and thereby change who we are and what we do. So he's gonna fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And that's what revival is. Revival is another moment when that door opens and we get the full weight of what's in heaven. Not just better than last week, not just better than our parents had, but what does the fullness look like? This is what we're contending for. That's why I'm never happy. Yeah, I know some people think Mark's never happy. He keeps wanting us to press in and to lean in. Why? Because there's something more that we, we need to experience. And until our nation, the whole nation, is shouting out the name of Jesus and bowing their knee and confessing that he is Lord, we don't have that full version yet. So I'm not apologizing for not stopping. I'm not a I'm not a Well, don't you appreciate what we have? Absolutely, but it's not the last stage. And as soon as you start to act like it's the last stage and celebrate like you're done, then you're done. And that's what happens, you know, when when churches start to tap into something. It's like this is better than anywhere else. This is great. And then they stop. Then they become irrelevant, like every other church system down through history. We all taste something great. This is the best. Let's franchise it. And then we become irrelevant. (laughs) Because it's the people that are experiencing it again and again and again. As we are standing here today, Paul says to me, at one point, he said, oh, I really felt something open. That The room shifted during that clapping time. And so, you know, of course, somebody who doesn't understand could say, that's the, that's the trick right there. We need to run in circles and clap. <laughs> if we run in circles fast enough and backwards occasionally, then the door will open. No, no, no. That's like open sesame kind of things. <laughs> yeah. This is not voodoo. There is a protocol. There are things, but it's, it's, a, it's an understanding of what engages heaven on earth. And so the earth is going to be flooded with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. This is the promise, and this is what we're looking towards. And, uh, and unto that end, we've, we've got two significant scriptures, and I'll just reference them quickly. One is, I, I think, in Revelations 22, and the other one is in Ezekiel 47. And the two of them talk about a river. And they talk about a river of life. And Ezekiel has a vision of this river, and it's coming out of the eastern gate of the temple in Jerusalem. And he said the thing about this river is it, it, it goes contrary to all the natural laws. That in, it starts small and it gets bigger without any volume being added to it. Right, so that, 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 that's special right there. That alone, right? It's getting deeper, it's getting wider, as it goes, it starts narrow and shallow, and as it goes, it's gathering volume, not the inverse. Which is, we get a picture of that, right? When Jesus fed the, the 5,000. Starts small, gets big, because that's how kingdom things work. They start small, they start insignificant, and they become great. You know why he did that? He did that to confuse the devil. Because the devil has no imagination. The devil has no faith. He, he loves to celebrate things that are big and just get increasingly insignificant. That's, how, that's the things that the kingdom of darkness does. And that's how mankind does things. We like to do big things that become insignificant. God says, I like to take insignificant things and make them big. Because that's how the river comes. But here's the promise that we have from Revelation. It says, John saw a river in heaven, and that river was a river of life, and it accomplished the same thing the river of life did in, in Ezekiel's vision, which is when it touched the bitter waters of the oceans and the seas, it says all their waters were healed. In other words, the power of this river is it's, it is revival. 
It is renewal. It is resurrection life. It is the commodity that conquers death and changes everything. And so what the angel was saying to John G. Lake was saying this. He said, it says, he's saying this. He says, it's great that you had a touch last week. It's great that a door opened last week and you had those healings over there. But here's what, I, here's, here's what you need to do. You need to contend for that every day. Every day. Every day. And you see that in Acts. When you're reading in Acts, and I tried to find and read some of the scriptures last week, that, that they were continuously filled again with the Holy Spirit. Each time that door opens. Why is, people ask me, why, do you, why is church so interesting to you? Because when the door to that invisible realm opens, it's like, yes! Same reason you sit by a river and you watch the water and the ripples and the, and the, and the, the rapids. It's like, well, didn't you see that yesterday? Yeah, but it's, there's something beautiful, captivating, alive. Same reason we like to look at fire because it's, it's the same but different. So if you're in church and you're thinking, man, we sang that song already six times. Let's go on to a new song. You're missing what's really happening. There's something new every second. It's like you're hungry. You're hungry and you keep, you keep biting into that same hamburger and then you want another hamburger. Didn't you already eat the hamburger? Yeah, but I'm, I'm hungry and so I'm eating the same thing. It never gets old as so long as I'm hungry. Never gets old so long as I'm hungry. When we're drinking in the presence of God, when we're coming to worship, if we, if we love his righteousness, if we're hungry for his presence, it never gets old and nothing except that is satisfying. So it's not enough to go through the motions. It's not enough to sing the songs. It's like, it's like, it's great, but what we want is that moment when that door opens. And here's the thing. That atmosphere can be this much or 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 sky high or equivalent to Acts chapter 2. But we're easily satiated by a version we're familiar with. And God is saying, listen, I want you to get dissatisfied with the amount that you have and the quality of the atmosphere you have because there's more. So contend for this, pursue for this, lean in for this, and don't stop because you will be satisfied when the fullness comes. What does that look like? Anyway, so that's my, my preface. Now, the status quo, aside from a revival, means we have kind of a version of what's in the world. And this is the distraction that comes on churches. And I won't talk a lot about this a long time, but the distraction is when, when that gate and that door doesn't open and that supernatural atmosphere is not coming in and you don't even know that it's possible for it to be, then what you do is you, you focus on secondary issues. You actually find things that you can do, like, you know, being nice. We're gonna be the nicest church around. Right, Because when you stop believing that the interface, the connection, the opening of the gate of heaven between heaven and earth is possible, then what you're left with is what you can do by your good motives. And that's what religion is. You know, well, I should have been nicer yesterday. Well, you know what? Here's the thing. If you could just have an encounter with consummate goodness the actually fiery glory of God, you will changed. You'll be changed so fundamentally, so profoundly, being good will not be a problem. So this is the journey that we're on. And so when secondary priorities overwhelm us, it's because we've lost sight of the primary one. And what the angel was saying to John G-like was stick with the primary one. All right, so what, what happens when we get caught up in the secondary one? Well, then, then we, we latch upon some feature of Christianity that we become experts in. 
And so our church becomes, well, you know, we're, we're, we're the evangelism church or we're the community church or we're the, we're the you know, we're, we're all about feeling good and, and enjoying one another and having, you know, warm times of fellowship or we're all about, we're about outreach. We're about feeding the poor. And, well, we're about orthodoxy. We stand on the word of God. So everybody becomes champions. We become champions at all these different things and all of them are valid, all of them are outflows of when the manifestation come, but that's the thing, they're the result of the manifestation of God. And God is saying, listen, what you need more than anything is the manifestation of me. Contend for the manifestation of me. The effect is you will change and you will get better at stuff, and the distraction is you'll focus on being better at stuff. And that will become sufficient. That's not who we are. We're, we're, kinda, we're gonna keep going back to the source. More of you. Oh God, I want more of you. God, I've tasted, I love what you've done for us, but I need more. Now, we don't wanna develop a culture that just says we need more if we don't. But that too is possible. And that's been the problem with a lot of charismatic churches. We know how to say, you know, we know how to display hunger. Oh God, we really need you. Does it sound a little hollow? Sound a little insincere? But, you know, we learn to do the things according to our culture and our stream, and we get better at it. But, but the evidence that we're really connected to the primary purpose of what it is we're called to be is that a door between heaven and earth opens, and things start to happen that have never happened before, and they're on the scale of what's measured in Acts chapter 2. That's what we're after. That's what we're looking for. So, all these things that happen are, are, are good, but they're not the essence of what the church is. Let me read this to you. It's the first paragraph of the first chapter of my volume two. The church is an expression of a great mystery of the kingdom of God on earth. It is a centerpiece in God's spiritual infrastructure for dominion, strategically positioned for, all, for the good of all humanity. Even so, few institutions have been more maligned throughout the last century. Perhaps that is in part part of a larger purpose. Let me just pause there for a second. How could that be a larger purpose? Because God doesn't want to settle for the best version of church the last generation had. Right? He's trying to get us to desire more, to align on the next level. The last generation did what they could. And they came to a certain alignment and the outflow of that was these good things and these good things. But now we're a new day, a new generation and we're, trying, we're, we're, we're called to say, Lord, renew your works in this day. And so the fact that the church as it has been is not cutting it and is being maligned by the world and designated as you know, in a dismissive way as being irrelevant, that's not a bad thing. It's an awakening thing for us to find something that can't be ignored. Like, this is the thing I think about, see about the ministry of God. And when God first challenged me about this, because I'm out there and I'm doing Christianity just to, like they said in Bible school. I'm going out to the streets, we're evangelizing, and we're, we're doing the stuff but it's not Acts chapter 2. It's just the best version of what we know. We're, we're articulating the truth. And I'm saying, well, I have the same truth Jesus had. And I'm out there and I'm preaching it. And guys are walking by me and they like barely glance in my general direction. I mean, no impact at all. And I'm thinking, God, the world is, is so uncaring, so callous, so hard, so wicked, so evil. They just don't love righteousness. He said, he no, 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 no. The world never did that to Jesus. They never ignored Jesus. They didn't all love him, but they didn't ignore him. <laughs> he was largely hated and largely loved by, by whatever side of the fence you are, but he was never ignored. The church that can be ignored is the church that is irrelevant because it's not manifesting heaven on earth. 
So the fact that the church starts to be maligned is a wake-up call for us to get more of what it is we think we have. Come on, think about that. Boldly stated, let me, here's my bold statement. God is in the process of reshaping the concept of the church and the minds of believers. Upon completion of this transformative work, two phrases will define the central purpose and function of the church. Whoa. These are a little foggy. All these foot fingerprints on there, footprints, fingerprints. <laughs> Two phrases are meant to define the church and its function. Well, tell us. The house of God and the gate of heaven. The church is meant to be the house of God and the gate of heaven. Sound familiar? Yeah, we, well, we, we did that. We got a building, we put house of God on the front. <laughs> well, that's the title, that's the label you put on it, but is it that? That's the first issue. Now, where did we get this information? Where did we get this house of God, gate of heaven thing? That's both New Testament and Old Testament. It actually came very early in the scripture. Specifically, Genesis 28. Genesis 28 is really the first mention of the house of God. And it came in a prophetic dream. Jacob is going to get himself a wife. He's betrayed his brother. He's been chased out of his home. He's, uh, you know, his life has in some ways fallen apart. But hey, he did what he thought was right. And so we enter this uh, pivotal transition moment between the second and third generation. So you got Isaac, who's born from Abraham, and then his son, Jacob, third generation now. But Isaac is old. He's passing away. His impending death is right in front of him. And he's thinking, I need to bless my son. So this happens, and he sends, he sends uh, Jacob off because Esau's brother's going to kill him because of what he did. Now, he stops at a certain place one night because the journey's long, and he goes to sleep. And in Genesis 28, verse 10, it says this, or might be verse 10, I don't know. That's what I got here, but... I don't have all the verses. Listen, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely, let me, uh, let me, let me, let me do this. Let's go right back. I want to read the whole thing. I always assume everybody knows what I'm talking about. But sometimes it's not true. Now in verse 10 it says, now Jacob went out from Beersheba and toward Haran, and so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and he put it at his head. Not, not uh, exactly Hilton. And he said, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. Behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God ascending and descending on it. In verse 13, 14, and 15, he hears the prophetic promise that was given to Abraham and his father Isaac. And so what is he getting? He's getting the prophetic promise of God. He's getting destiny spoken to him. Essentially, God's saying, this is who you are. So in this place, there's a ladder. There's a, a gateway, a, tr- a conduit between heaven and earth. There's angels ascending and descending. There is the voice of God echoing in the air saying, this is your destiny, this is your identity, this is what I'm going to do with you, the promises of God. And those three things constitute what, he, what was there. Now, what does he say the next morning? He gets up, and that's where uh, we come to the place, this is the verse I was going to share with you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. That is the first time that terminology, that language was ever used. Now, we use the terminology today. We say, this is the house of the Lord. You know, watching an old movie and say, do not do this in the house of the Lord. Right? Because we, we, we have been trapped by a tradition that says the place where we do X, Y, and, and Z, if you're American, X, Y, and Z, if you're us, the place that we do those things is designated as the house of God. 
But the difference is this. It wasn't designated because of the label that had been assigned by men in the Bible. When Jacob said, this is that, he said it because there was a certain kind of unique activity transpiring in that place. Because of that unique transactions that were happening, he said, this is the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And we, not really understanding that, when I say we, I mean the whole history, all the churches, all the people that have ever been said, we don't really fully understand that. I mean, even John G. Lake had to be exhorted by the angel, contend for this. And he was in the midst of, his life was a life of revival. But God sent an angel to say, in case you forget, In case you're resting in the successes of yesterday's ministry, this needs to happen again and again and again. In fact, your role is to keep that door open all the time. And I want you to think about that language because this here is the primary role of the church. Well, isn't it to do this and go out and 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 do this? Yes, but all those things are, are manufactured or propelled or energized by this. And if this is not happening, this becomes less and less and less and less and less until it's void and empty of everything that is life. What you're supposed to be doing is releasing the river of life, not doing the things that rivers do once they start to flow. Can you imagine a bunch of people? There's no water, we can't really feed you, but what are you doing? Well, that's the sound water kind of makes sometimes when it's gurgling across the earth. That's entirely unsatisfying. (laughs) Right? But that's all you're left with if there's no manifestation. That, That is the empty residual activity of death is, is a, a form of godliness without the essence of what manufactured it the first time, which was a door open and heaven began to come in by volumes that mes- mesmerized us and caught us up and changed us. And now we're just waiting to go to heaven. No, contend, contend. Every time we gather, every time we gather, what, what are we doing? Well, we're supposed to, here's the list of things we do. No, we're not doing a list. We're trying to open a gate, open a door. We're trying to be the gate. And in so doing, we do those things, but let's not get it backwards. We do those things to open this gate. Our fixation, our focus is, is it opening? And the evidence is the world around us is being changed by it. Because listen, when Acts 2 happens, whether it's in Jerusalem or Samaria or Bethel or Dallas, Texas or Moscow or Spruce Grove, the world will change. You can't stop the world from changing when consummate life starts to flow here through here like a flood. The world will come knocking at our doors. So, so this, this is why I'm, I'm so bothered by this ministry mechanism of, well, let's just get so we can do this as good as Bethel. Let's just get so we can do this like that other group. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with learning from people. There's nothing wrong with being inspired by people. But you can grab all the trappings of what everybody else is doing, even the most effective, and still not have anything close to the results. Because it wasn't that song, it wasn't that activity, it wasn't that instrument, it wasn't that worship leader. It was what manifested. Did the gate of heaven open? Are you with me? Ah. So, this, uh, this is the first place we hear the, the term house of God. Now, why was the term used? The term was used because Jacob experienced those things there. So what came first? The the label or the activity? He gave it the label because those things were happening. 
It was a divine access point enabling the flow of heavenly resources between the celestial and terrestrial worlds. This was the, this was the touchdown point of heaven on earth. And he had never experienced before. And he said, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God in the gate of heaven. Not realizing that this was a glimpse into God's eternal plan. Now you're getting it, Jacob. Now you're getting it. This is my plan. All over the world, I'm going to create spots like this. All over the world, I'm going to create places that are called houses of God. But they're not houses of God because the words house of God is on the front of it or it says Bethel or whatever it is. It's, the, it's that thing because that activity is happening. Angels are ascending and descending. An electrifying presence, a door has opened. Earth is being invaded by consummate life. Oh yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. See, you can see how 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 easy it is to get distracted, right? Because, you know, you think, oh, you come here and you think, oh, I like the dance. So, you know, when, when they do with that with those flaming things, that's so cool, I'd like to do that. And so we can do that, but you know what? Just doing that doesn't cause the effect that the first, when the first person did it. Because the difference between Jesus and everybody else was articulated when he said this, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. I'm not just saying theologically correct words. I'm actually importing spiritual life. Words, my words are conduits for an essence that's coming from above and into the earth. I'm an importer. I'm importing a commodity, and you think it's just the language and the text. It's not the language and the text. It's another commodity that's invisible, but it's inside the language and the text. And when I hand out a a loaf of bread, it's in that exchange. It's not the exchange, but it's in it. Because what I'm doing is being led by a spirit. I'm cooperating with an unction that's from heaven. So when I do it, I'm not just giving away bread like some people. I'm actually manifesting heaven on earth. See, you can do the exact same things and not do anything that's spiritual. That's why he said the words I speak to you are spirit and life. You can mimic them. You can repeat them. You can say them with more eloquence, more power, more volume, you know, with great, beautiful crescendos of orchestral accompaniments. Better than me, but if it doesn't have spirit and life, if it isn't spirit and life, it's of no value. It doesn't advance the kingdom at all. Are you with me still? I love that big clock back there. Thanks, Curtis. Now we need to get this sequence correctly. Jacob calls it Bethel because that's what was there. It was the house of God because God was there. So that's why I've said this before. If you go to a church over and over and they say, this is the house of God and not God is never there, you might start to question. Does he even live here? He doesn't even visit. I've been here 12 times and God hasn't been here once. Right? And you are right to begin to question if this is still the house of God. And that's the point of what Israel realized is that, is that when they didn't do things as he wanted, he left. Right? He abandoned them. He left, he left, and all of a sudden they kept doing all of the, the rituals and everything, but God's not there. He's gone, Ichabod. Right? Now, you see this happen all the time. You ever heard of a place called Palm Springs? Palm Springs. What an odd name. You know, it's probably called Palm Springs because somebody went there and there were springs and palms. Maybe. <laughs> Oyster Bay. Somebody went to Oyster Bay. Well, let's call this place Oyster Bay. Why would you do that? Well, there's oysters and there's a bay. <laughs> Bethel is the house of God and the gate of heaven because it is the house of God and the gate of heaven. It did not become the house of God because we named it so. It was that before we gave it the name. It was defined by the activity that pre- pre- preceded its title. Uh, let, me, let me move along quickly. 
Today, church buildings have become the staging ground of many things. Listen to me. All of these things are great things. I'm not demeaning any of these things. All these things are important, and they are an outflow of what it is we should be. But it's kind of like this thing. If somebody says, I'm a woman, but you don't have the natural attributes of being a woman, right down to your DNA, I should be able to question as to whether you're a woman. Well, I can't have babies because I don't have any of the parts that make babies. Maybe you're not a woman. All right? That same critique should be brought to the church. So, churches have become staging grounds of many things. We're youth drop-in locations, we're soup kitchens, we're safe zones for counseling ministry, we're, we're places where, where orthodoxy is articulated with fervor and passion, and all these things are great. I don't have any objection to any, any of these services, but these functions do not define the essence of what makes church, church. By definition, The church is first and foremost the habitation of God. If it's not that, then it is not the house of God it was intended to be. So we need to rediscover its primary, initial purpose. Now the second tag he gives is the gate of heaven. You know what's so interesting when I look at this? This was all new to Jacob. All new. He'd, you know, but he prophesies really in that moment. He's prophesying words of wisdom and knowledge when he says this is the house of God and the gate of heaven because he'd never experienced this before, but he gives a definitive kind of infrastructure title. Like oh, from a standpoint of operations, this is what this is. Can the same be said of us? Can the same be said of the thousands of church, churches and buildings and gatherings that are across the land of Canada and the United States today or across the globe. Can we go to any place that calls itself the institution of the church of the kingdom of heaven and can we find these essential ingredients? Are there angels ascending and descending? Is there prophetic promise and the power that goes with that? Is, is, there, is there an atmosphere that changes you, that gives you direction, guidance, identity? But more than that, is it a staging ground? It is, is it ground zero for heaven on earth? You see, when, when he said, this is the house of God, but then he said, it is the gate of heaven, he actually shifted our understanding, if we grab a hold of it, as to what this really is. What is a gate, the gate of heaven? First of all, listen to this. The gate of heaven is not in heaven. The gate of heaven is not far removed. It's not distant. It's not like one day I'll get to go through the pearly gates and see St. Peter. The gate of heaven was on the earth. The, this, is a, this is significant. This is God's plan. This is a part of his architectural design for the earth's invasion. He said, I'm going to establish gates on the earth that are connected to heaven. They will effectively be called the gate of heaven, and they will be identified as the beginning places, the thresholds of the house of God because of what is seen through uh, those gates, what comes in. Hallelujah. Gates are thresholds. They, they, they distinguish one place from another. You go to the begin, out, outside the gates, the doors of the church. If you step one foot outside, then you're outside the church. If you're inside the church, you're in a different place, right? In the building, out of the building. The gate is the threshold that defines the beginning and the end of one thing and the beginning of another. This is important. A gate is an entry point. A door is an entry point. But more than that, It's the end of a system of delivery. I want you to think about this. When we have uh, ports, right, or we have border crossings, Right? What, what's happening in those, in those moments? Airports. What are airports? Airports are gates. The gates of the city. The gates of the nation. Landing places. And, but what happens is goods and services, resources, come through gates. When you're driving up I-5 
in, uh, in Washington State, and you come to the Peace Portal Arch there, and that is the gate of the nation of Canada. And if, you are, if, you, if we're bringing goods into Canada, they come through gates like that. So gates are connected to, uh, to highways, to conduits of supply. I want you to realize this. The gate of heaven on earth is the end of a supply line. It is actually the beginning of a supply line for those on the other side, but the end of the supply line if you're on, on the heaven side. So in other words, what the, what the reason God has established the church and the gate of heaven is because he told us, I want you to pray this way. Pray your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, we've, we've assigned to that some sort of, uh, you know, mystical, yeah, it's going to come down, probably in misty, twinkly little lights. And, you know, we don't know. We'll feel it. It's sort of enigmatic. We never can put your finger on it. No, the kingdom of heaven is built from structures. There's real structures. I mean, when, when he was seeing this, when he said, this is the gate of heaven, he's talking about a resource point. If you come to this gate, this is where all the good stuff comes out. <laughs> That's what this building should be. Oh, the place where all the good stuff comes out. If it stops being that, if we're just mimicking songs that have a nice tone and remind us of a moment when we saw the gate of heaven, it's many steps removed from what it ought to be. Are you with me? Yeah. Ah, hallelujah. I keep asking that, but it's because, never mind. <laughs> ah, Gateways like airports and border crossings and deep water ports, these are gateways. They're, they're, they're staging grounds where resources are transmitted and traffic, people, personnel, and resources come through them. They're terminal points for, uh, for an, uh, delivery destinations. They're positioned at the end of a highway or route of some kind. They are particularly used for importation and export. Now, the gate of heaven... The church has to be understand, understood and seen in the light of this. And our effectiveness has to be measured in terms of this. Are we bringing the goods? Are we actually, do we even know if the gate opens? Like Paul said this morning, and he said, wow, right at that point, right there, that's something happened there. Now, it's not the only thing that happened. We'll talk about the significance and sizes and different types of portals and gates because there are different types. But to know that it happened is the first step. I mean, if you just come to church, you're like, this is a nice song, I like this one. I like the beat on this one. Oh, listen to the bass on that one. That electric guitar solo is great. I love the cello. Wonderful. Wonderful. Those all contribute. But there's a natural part of that and there's a spiritual part of it. Are we seeing when that shift comes? Do we feel the freshness of that higher level of atmosphere when it starts to come into the room? And do we know how to correspond accordingly? See, this is why we're a weird church. Because we're, and I don't mind being a weird church. Right? The apostle Peter says, you are a peculiar people. I don't mind being a peculiar person. Anybody who doesn't want to be a peculiar person better not come to church anymore. So if, if, you're, if you're dedicated to looking not foolish and sensible, and you know, if you want to keep your integrity and your nobility, maybe don't be invested in this thing. Because everything that the kingdom of God is doing requires a certain level of foolishness. Well, they're, they're acting like something really happened there. Right? They're, they're engaging. They're responding to something. I don't feel anything. I don't see anything. Get some eyes. Get some ears. Get some feeling. Get connected. Develop the senses. This is what God has provided. Your senses, when you get born again, are awakened, but need to be developed so that you know when the atmosphere is coming in and where it's coming from. Oh, it's that song. We need to sing that song again that we sang last week because when that song came, then, whoo! We sing the song and nothing happens. Like, well, I don't know, you did it wrong. 
The song is one component in a thousand that, that are part of, but not the reason. The atmosphere shifted. See, the difference between us and Jesus is Jesus knew how to open that gate. He knew how to open that, that realm of signs and wonders and healing. Now, he, even though he knew how, he couldn't even do it all the time himself, right? Went to his own hometown. Their unbelief contributed to closing those gates. There are factors beyond just the technique that we might be familiar with. I want you to hunger. I want you to hunger to, to realize that, like, you know, they, they, we don't have to be dulled in our senses and wonder, okay, we're going to sing this song. I hope God comes. We can know why or why not. We can know what releases his presence. We, we're learning as we go along by doing it wrong, by venturing, by realizing where our hopes, our designs, our objectives, our motives were misplaced and it doesn't result in the... Why, why, why does that happen? So we learn what works and doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, we're trying to affect our world. So let me quickly run through a... a because we're running out of time. The gate of heaven is not in heaven, it's on earth. The mystical beginning of the celestial domain we call heaven is solidly anchored in the world in which we live. Access to heaven is not distant or removed within our reach. We are the purveyors. We are, we are, part, we are the gatekeepers. We are the door openers. We are the door knockers. He's, he's knocking on our door, hoping we'll open. Who opens the door? God, help me. (laughs) You obviously don't know how doors work. You've got it locked from inside. (laughs) Gates are therefore a part of critical infrastructure between heaven and earth. It's the threshold or vital point of departure between heaven and earth. It is the link between two realms. It is a strategic destination in the divine supply chain. Now, I'm going to quickly go to the end here because I'm running out of time and I know somebody's got a chicken in the oven. Well, that's, you think, well, that's the Old Testament, right? That's, that's Jacob, you know, had his dream, great dream. Maybe we'll make a movie about Jacob's Ladder. But if you fast forward to the New Testament, where the literal literal birth of the church happened, right? you, you find a fascinating key that Jesus himself brought to us. He borrowed from the language of Jacob, only one to do so. The only one to ever do this was Jesus, and he points back to the visitation that Jacob has, and he's talking to Nathaniel who doesn't believe, and he says to Nathaniel this. He says, listen, Nathaniel. He said, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You think there's something strategic in that? What he's saying is this. Listen, I'm here to manifest that gate, that gate, that house, that expression, that conduit, that connection between heaven and earth that Jacob saw in a dream, I'm here to do it. I'm here to be it. Now you're going to watch me, and you're going to say angels ascending and descending on my position, wherever I am, because I know how to open this gate. I know how to keep it open. But here's, here's the thing. We don't see Nathaniel seeing any of that. You know what we do see? We see him preaching. We see him feeding the poor. We see him doing signs and wonders. We see him opening blind eyes. We see him raising the dead. We see him confronting darkness, political darkness in the, in the Pharisees. And, and I mean, we see all these things, but nowhere do we see angels ascending and descending. Well, I got news for you. Everything he did was that. Everything he did was that. Imagine having an awareness so complete, so, so you, are, you are so connected with that other realm that everything you do is that. Well, there's an angel here. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever, there's an angel here and you think, yeah, like you see angels, you're not even a good Christian. 
right? You know, how literal can it be? How real can it be? I mean, Jesus is saying this to us. Listen, everything I did is for your example. Everything that was written was for your example. I'm trying to reveal to you the technology of heaven by which the redemption of the earth is being accomplished. We know the end of this thing. We know that the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Just how? How is that happening? What is the delivery mechanism through which that product that's in heaven is going to make it to the earth? Out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. When we gather and we worship, we are pooling the living waters that were released. Now, some of us don't know how to release living waters. And so what we get is the accumulated effect of everybody else's. And if you come into church and you think, wow, the atmosphere is here. It's so good. I feel so loved by God, but I don't know how or why it's happening. I'll tell you why it's, and how it's happening. People of faith are opening a door. People of faith are opening the tributary of their own spirit. Living water is coming through there. It's affecting the atmosphere, and the certain accumulation of that stuff opens another gate. Something flushes in the room. This is not secondary. This is the church. This is what we're called to do. Everything else comes out of this. The effectiveness of everything else is dependent and hinges on whether we do this or not. That's why God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. He's saying, listen, I'm not just calling you to be good. I'm not just calling you to do the things that Jesus did like he did them and say the words that he said that are written in the book. I want you to enter into an engagement with me through worship and devotion, fasting and prayer that causes the gate of heaven to open so that people in your community can say, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God and the gate of heaven. That's what we're after. And revival in the final generation that is going to accomplish everything in his will is the one that figure out how to do this effectively. Sound like a plan? That's the plan. That's the plan of God. So when John G. Lake is pointing at Acts chapter 2, this is what he's really saying. He's saying revival, the essence of what the church is, the answer to humankind is open that gate. You are responsible. You have the power to keep it open. And the warfare, which we'll talk about some other time, is whether you can keep the door open, whether you can keep the gate open. (sighs) So, Father, let's stand up together. Father, we pray today. God, we want to be part of the release of the metasphere of heaven to come and fill the earth. Musicians, please. Lord, we, 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 we are contending for the manifestation of heaven on earth. Father, we, we want to say right now, and I want you to say this. I want you to be honest with God. And if you're sitting here thinking, I have no clue about any of this. I didn't even know there was a door. Never mind when it's open and when it's closed. I don't have that sensitivity. I'd like to know. Listen, God doesn't want to keep you in ignorance. He wants you to know. He wants you to be a participant in releasing these things. And you might have to do it without feeling anything by faith, and that's okay because that's humbling to your intellect and humbling to your pride. Do it anyway. But do it with the conviction that God wants you to understand, that God wants you to know the difference, and that even if you don't feel or see anything, he's subjugating your own confidence in your present gifts. You might be a smart guy. You might be an intelligent woman. You might be capable and gifted at all kinds of things, but this is the skill set that we're going to take into eternity. Interacting with spirit and life. Interacting with spirit and life. It's not secondary to your faith. It's essential. It's plan number one. First priority. Let's worship him. Let's sing this song. And I want you to just, just ask the Lord, honestly. Listen, Holy Spirit has been given you to teach you these very things. And if you start articulating a desire, 
And if you start humbling yourself to the process, you will learn. And some of you will become way better at this than I've ever even imagined possible. That's where we're going. Let's worship him. Now, you might be sitting here today, and you might be thinking, well, I don't know anything about this stuff. But Jesus talked about being born again. And what he was saying is, listen, in the same way angels were ascending and descending on my life, they can ascend and descend on your life. In the same way that living water flows through me, it can flow through you. We just got to close the gap. We got to make a connection between you and God, not just by vague belief, but being born again is being made alive to an invisible realm. Now, you might be here and you might have gone to church all your life. You may know Jesus. You may have celebrated his birth, his death, everything about him for all your life. But if you haven't had the experience of that connection between heaven and earth inside of you, you can have it today. By just saying, I believe. Jesus, I believe. I believe. I believe you came not only to assure me of eternal life, but to have a relationship with me. I want to be born again, like you said. I want my spirit to be one with your spirit, so that what's in your spirit can flow through my spirit and into this world, so that I can be a a receiver of everything that you have. Jesus, I want that. All you have to say is yes. All you have to say is, yes, I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. And if you want that today, you could just say yes in your heart right now. But then come up afterwards and tell somebody that you did that. And we'd like to pray with you. We'd like to agree with you. But this is the promise that we've been given. We are the rivers of life for our world. Can you say amen? Thank you, Lord.